0: Cancel culture is getting rampant, impeachment is getting pushed through, and Josiah is getting fed up with politics. I'm Josiah Iverson, and this is The Glorious Rescue. Aren't you tired of feeling forced to choose between staying informed and being indoctrinated? Listen to the condensed news cycle without the lies, agendas, and confusion from the mainstream media, all while engaging in deeper discussions about the principles that have influenced our great nation. This is what rescuing America looks like. This is is the glorious rescue. Welcome back to another episode of the glorious rescue. Just when we think that things can't get any worse, things cannot get any crazier, Josiah. There's no way that more and more developments are going to be coming up faster and faster. They do. I don't know why people were always saying like back a month ago or so, I can't wait till this year's over. 2021's going to be the year. And I kept wondering why in the world do people think that because the calendar says 2021 instead of 2020, somehow magically things are going to get better. Things are going to slow down. They have not. And because of that, there's a lot of political heat. There's a lot of frustrated discussion, I guess you can say, a lot of emotional and polarizing heated debate in regards to the political arena and people in general getting more and more polarized over politics. And I think it's good to sometimes take a step away in the sense of uh, relaxing from it, realizing the big picture. And that's what I want this episode to be, going back to those more universal principles. And for those of you who have been listening to the show for the past while, you know this, but there are, there have been many, many new listeners and we're actually getting dozens and dozens of new listeners per week. Not that we're growing per week, but we have unique listeners, dozens and dozens of them every single week. And so with that, I want to kind of explain that theme of the show, being the glorious rescue is that the rescue of our nation are those principles, those principles that our nation was founded upon 250 years ago or so. And those are the principles that will continue to sustain and rescue our nation from the crisis that we see here and how we avert that crisis in our nation, in our homes, in our families and whatnot. And so how do we do that? And that's, like I said, returning to those principles. And that's what the theme is of the show. So if you've just recently been listening, that is what the whole goal is of the show, the end of show segments and whatnot. We, in the fir- very first portion of the, of the show or of each specific episode, we try to hit the headlines so you get the condensed news cycle. And then, in, in the latter portion, we talk about those deeper principles. We talk about famous speeches, individuals, events, uh, principles throughout history and how, how they apply to us today. And so if you're listening, it's to hopefully give you that best of both worlds so that you are not bogged down by the discouragement that you see in the mainstream media and whatnot. Get those consolidated headlines, just get the brief updates, and then be able to dive into deeper discussions. I think discussions on principles that are more universal. So this episode is a little bit different in the sense that I want to spend more time on those and also a little bit different in the sense that it is a little bit more pre recorded. Obviously, these episodes are recorded and placed on whatever platform you are listening on. So these are pre-recorded, but this is a little bit more so, so I may not have the the most recent update. And You may be saying, Josiah, what, what about this? What about that? That'll be obviously covered in our next episode. And like, for instance, the impeachment, the funny thing is about the impeachment thing is I haven't even discussed it for like the last couple episodes. And it's one of the biggest headlines. And we've just had so much to cover that I, I, I've completely forgot to talk about it and haven't even gone through it on the show. So, I mean, obviously I know most Americans are pretty much updated on that. So anyways, I know this is just another supplement to a lot of your, your, as listeners, your news consumption. But anyways, so I know you can get that from somewhere else if, if you need more updates on that. So I'll just give you the brief updates on what I have most recently as we move into those and later into this end of show segment. So for instance, I talked about cancel culture getting rampant. What I want to take a step back from and take a deep breath and jump into is the, the era, the rise of a new left. I'm not talking about simple Democrats, maybe, or or liberals in general, but this new left that has come up within the last several years. It's a new left that I will very emphatically get, uh, ascribe several attributes to. First of all, racist. This new left, this hardcore leftist policy is, is simply racist. A lot of the policies they believe, this multiculturalism. Basically, this victimhood mentality that if you are a, a member of a different race or a different group, you are therefore uh, uh, on a different scale of this victimhood mentality. And so your victim, your victimization is more validated and therefore your opinions mean more really because you are a member of a different type of group racist that, that, that makes this ideology racist or sexist or whatnot. Also, the idea of, of people and Joe Biden mentioning specifically that he's going to be giving business relief based on race and gender. Yes, small businesses will be getting coronavirus relief, but specifically based on those small businesses owners, minority groups, ethnic groups, race and gender basically are, are like what I said, blatant racism, and I can go on and on about the whole new left and this hardcore leftist policies being simply racist. I could talk about pathetic how they can't handle opinions that are that slightly deviate from the narrative that they want to push. mainstream media is 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 vastly. Monopolizing this mentality, this pathetic mentality that they cannot handle an opinion slightly different than theirs. I think of big tech and the censorship of, of free speech, really. And I, I've talked about the idea of private companies, and but but that not being discussed. The, still, the principle of free speech, and now these big tech companies want to silence opinions that are slightly different from the that the opinions that they want spoken on their platforms. It, it's pathetic not being able to handle an opinion or engage in a discussion with someone who differs slightly in, in, in opinion. I I could give more. I I think Elon Musk, specifically in in the area of big tech, just to give a quick shout out to him, is substantially better than all of them. He came out basically saying big tech censorship is ridiculous and all that. So props to Elon Musk. But I said racist, pathetic, radical. Joe Biden has said that he wants to, quote, defeat the NRA. What does that mean, Joe Biden? Literally, Joe Biden, what do you mean by you want to, quote, unquote, defeat the NRA? What does that look like? Do you mean a, gu- a gun buyback, a mandatory gun buyback? Do you mean a certain ban of assault weapons or weapons you deem assault weapons? What do you mean, Joe Biden? Because again, this new leftist policy is a radical policy. The Green New Deal, AOC, this, this is the rise of a new Democratic Party, a much a substantially more radical Democratic Party that is, not no, that is no longer a difference in opinion, but a difference in principle, principles that we're going to talk about in this end of show segment. But radical more communistic and in, in, in totalitarian, dictatorial in nature, wanting to silence the opposition. There's this, there's this communication theory called the Overton Window. And really what it is, is that the Overton Window is the acceptable range of discourse. And anything in this discourse, this range of discourse is considered acceptable dialogue. And that range used to be quite large in American politics in in America, in, in American culture in general. We used to be able to discuss a wide variety of politics without getting so emotional, without getting so attached to our political ideologies, that we feel that we are no longer a person and we are a victim if those opinions are challenged. It used to be that Americans would talk shop, and that talking shop would include politics, religion, different things that would be in that acceptable range of discourse, and now the left is shrinking that Overton window. They are saying now discussing politics or discussing this or having a difference of opinion here or there, is outside that Overton window. It's not allowed. It's it's outside what is acceptable discourse for, for Americans. That is this new leftist party, the Democrat party. I could go on and on, and but again, I, I do want to get into those deeper principles, and we will so in the end of show segment, about why it is so important for us to protect those principles, why it is so important to talk about those principles, why it is so important to protect that Overton window, so that we can continue to engage in dialogue. It is one of the free speech, one of the pillars of American society. Now, what I want to discuss briefly is just the idea of impeachment because I haven't talked about it in the last couple episodes. And by the time you listen to this, probably it will already be outdated. So the brief update that I do have is that the House did move to impeach Donald Trump and it is going to the Senate. Do I believe the Senate will? No, I believe Mitch McConnell said he was going to support impeachment or basically being put on trial. Obviously, you're impeached in the House and then put on trial basically in the Senate. Do I think Mitch McConnell would go against Donald Trump? He did say so at first. I believe he also made a statement just like within a day later, uh, retracting that, basically saying that it's not going to happen. So I don't think it's going to happen. Donald Trump is now the first president to be impeached twice. We have Johnson being impeached, Bill Clinton being impeached, but Donald Trump, first one impeached twice. So props to Donald Trump, not the type of history I think he was wanting to make. I don't don't agree with it. I I mentioned, obviously, you know, my stance on all of those riots and the violence back two episodes ago, if you want to reference it. so I don't agree with it, I believe it was wrong but I don't think it's also, I I also think it's wrong to ascribe that violence on the tab of Donald Trump, I do not think he incited that violence, I don't really agree with the language that he used, I believe you know, having months and months uh, of tailoring this dialogue to his base, of the election being stolen from them and, and Congress or elected officials not caring about the voice of the American people and then walking them to the steps of the Capitol was not good, but again I do not believe he incited the violence directly. Now, I'm getting tired of politics. It's getting very frustrating. It's getting very wild. It's getting very loud and obnoxious. And obviously here on The Glorious Rescue, we're trying to tone that down, give you those brief consolidated headlines so that you can stay an uninformed patriot, but not have to be discouraged by all of the discouraging news that's out there. So that is, again, the theme, the goal of this show. If that's a goal you agree with or something that you want to share, continue to share these episodes. It is always greatly appreciated. Just sending uh, someone, five people, three people, one person that has not listened to this episode, you can share on any platform that you're listening to, Spotify, uh, over on Apple Podcasts as well. Even uh, if you're listening on the YouTube channel, just click that link at the top. Click the link, copy it, paste it over into Messages app and send it to someone who is not listening to the show. That would greatly, I would greatly appreciate it and it would greatly help out the show. And I do believe greatly help out our nation. Now we're going to move into an end of show segment of Teach the Speech. Welcome back to another segment of Teach the Speech. Now you may be wondering or asking yourself or asking me, Josiah. I thought we just had Teach the Speech last episode, and I thought you'd try to kind of switch these up a little bit, and I do. I do try to, and yes, we did have Teach the Speech in our last episode, but I wanted to go through this one for a very specific reason. It's extraordinarily uh, specific, extraordinarily applicable to what we see in our day-to-day. In fact, if you go back and listen to the last episode, if you haven't, I highly recommend you do so. At the end of this video, there will be a little window for you to head back over to that last episode, where we talked about Ronald Reagan's first inaugural address, and I genuinely believe that he, Ronald Reagan, formulated his first inaugural address after Thomas Jefferson's first inaugural address. You will listen to it here. You will hear the themes of it, the the goals of Jefferson's administration, and you will find it strikingly similar to what Ronald Reagan said a couple hundred years later. Again, this happened in 1801. Reagan was in the 1980s, so almost 200 years prior to Ronald Reagan's speech was this speech by Thomas Jefferson. A speech very fitting for today, a speech I think go- that is going to be in stark contrast is in stark contrast to the, the the modern Democrat party, that leftist ideology that we just recently talked about. And I think also in stark contrast to what Joe Biden's message is going to be, it's going to be fake unity. America united under united under what Joe Biden united under a leftist, a radical communist uh, agenda. Is that what you want us united under? Anyways, less on that and more on this, because I do believe it is very fitting and very important. It is also a little bit long, a little bit lengthier. And you will notice that his language is very, very hard to read, hard to understand. So we're going to be breaking it down as we go through the speech. I'm going to be explaining it, making notes here and there and pointing out certain things and also be paraphrasing in some areas and skipping some parts. So just bear with me if you have the speech memorized, which props to you. If you do, you will note that I'm skipping uh, certain segments. So just, you know, side note there. Thomas Jefferson starts with a very long first sentence, but I will paraphrase, basically talking about undertaking the duties. who was a sense of duty and how he's grateful for it, but how he does believe it is above his talents and above his skill level. And above what he thinks his powers and he believes his powers are weak and that he's incapable, but that he is grateful and inspired to have the opportunity and he feels that sense of duty. And you say, Josiah, that was long, yes, but it was substantially shorter than the sentence itself. What you will notice as we read this also is that his language, like I said, is more complicated already, but it's going to be in stark contrast to like Washington and James Madison. We've read one of Washington's speeches. Yes, both all still have that loftier language, but Jefferson specifically. Very complicated writer, very hard sometimes to understand. He continues on. When I contemplate these transcendent objects, objects of like industry and hard work and labor and things like that, and see the honor, the happiness, and the hopes of this beloved country committed to the issue and the auspices of this day, I shrink from the contemplation and humble myself before the magnitude of the undertaking. Again, the sense of duty, not pride, not a sense of power in trying to get to the top and be the president of the largest and freest nation but to humble himself to the duty. Again, stark contrast to many of the leaders that we see in our day to day. Another thing I find interesting as he continues is he talks about people disagreeing on either ends of the quote-unquote aisle, disagreeing politically, but still how, how he's going to seek their counsel and their wisdom on some certain issues that, even though they disagree, he's going he's to be asking for their counsel. He says, I look with encouragement for that guidance and support, which may enable us to steer with safety the vessel in which we are all embarked amidst the conflicting elements of a troubled world. I don't know if there's a much better way to describe this world other than troubled and conflicting elements, but he talks about how to navigate those through discussion, which is why this this censorship of free speech is, is so detrimental because we need that discussion to steer through this troubled world. I love what he says later after talking about the democratic election taking place and the processes. He's and s- basically saying, announce according to the rules of the Constitution, all will, of course, arrange themselves under the will of the law and unite in common efforts for the common good. Republicans and Democrats don't agree and don't come together for the common good on absolutely anything other than spending more of our money. When it comes to spending more of our money, we talked about that defense bill a few episodes ago. That's one of the very few items that elected officials can agree on is spending more of our money. They can't agree on anything else that would be actually good for our nation and for our people, but they can agree on that. And he's talking about how after an election and after heated conflict, there there are times where we must build the bridges, keep the bridges, and engage in that discussion of compromise to to do what is best for our nation. All two will bear in mind this sacred principle, that though the will of the majority is in all cases to prevail, that will to be rightful must be reasonable, that the minority possess their equal rights, which equal law must protect, and to violate would be oppression, Very important. The rule of law, not the rule of the mob or the rule of the majority. Let us then, fellow citizens, unite with one heart and one mind. Let us restore to social intercourse that harmony and affection without which liberty and even life itself are but dreary things. Life going on as dreary because, you know, all of this conflict. And let us reflect that having banished from our land that religious intolerance under which mankind so long bled and suffered, we have yet gained little if we countenance a political intolerance as despotic as wicked. And capable of as bitter and bloody persecutions. This is huge. This is... is, It's so frustrating to look at our day-to-day. Look at the big tech censorship. Or even in general. Politics in general and our elected officials. The intolerance. Specifically the religious intolerance that they have. And Thomas Jefferson is saying that if we allow that political intolerance to inculcate our culture and our politics and our dialogue and our discussion, our culture... If we allow that intolerance to do so, to, like I said, influence our culture so much, then we have become those same tyrants that we fought against. Those same tyrants that we fought against because of that intolerance. Nevertheless, I will continue later on. But every difference of opinion is not a difference of principle. We have called by different names brethren of the same principle. We are all Republicans. We are all Federalists. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, that can't really be said as far as today. Back then, when you disagreed, a lot of it was disagreeing on a certain, like he says, opinions, having a difference of opinion, but not a difference of principle. They agreed on those principles, the principles of self-government, of Republican forms of government. Now, our nation is much more politically divided. The sides are completely and very starkly in contrast. What do I mean? I talked about this, this new left arising that is in stark contrast to to the, like you could say, the quote unquote Democratic Party hundreds of years ago. It's drastically different because now our disagreements aren't disagreements of principle and not just opinion. Nevertheless, he says, if there be any among us who would wish to dissolve this union or to change its Republican form, let them stand undisturbed as monuments of the safety with which error of opinion may be tolerated where reason is left free to combat it. He's saying even if there are people who believe that this system should be torn down, that it's completely wrong or completely evil and and a new system has to be put in place, even if someone believes that, let them believe that and let reason and truth and discussion be the proof against that error and not intolerance just shutting them out and not letting them have that, that free speech. I know indeed that some honest men fear that a Republican government cannot be strong, that this government is not strong enough. But would the honest patriot in the full tide of successful experiment abandon a government which has so far kept us free and firm on the theoretic and visionary fear that this government, the world's best hope may, by possibility, want energy to preserve itself? I trust not. I believe this, on the contrary, the strongest government on earth. I believe it is the only one where every man at the call of the law would fly to the standard of the law and would meet invasions of the public order as his own personal concern. Sometimes it is said that a man cannot be trusted with the government of himself. But wait, this is what Ronald Reagan said. Can he then be trusted with the government of others? Or have we found angels, then, in the forms of kings to govern him? Let history answer this question. Ronald Reagan pulled directly from this the idea that if man is not capable of governing himself, then why is man capable of governing another? The foundation of our government being self-government, the pursuit of happiness, meaning to live within the confines of morality, to live a good, virtuous life to the best of our abilities. And when we do so, we live free and happy because we are, we are governing ourselves and there's no need for an outside, an outward compulsion of our lives. That is the pursuit of happiness that that these men talked about. And it is this principle that Ronald Reagan was referencing in his inaugural address. And then he talks about the idea of if we had angels, do we have angels in this world? Or, or even God, is God in this world as far as living in human form right now with us? Because if so, then the angels or, or God himself could rule us and we would not have to worry about this. We wouldn't have to worry about absolute power corrupting. But is that true right now? We'll let history answer this question. Man will corrupt with power and there must be limitations on the powerful. Let us then with courage and confidence pursue our own federal and republican principles, our attachment to union and representative government. What's interesting to me, too, as well, is the idea that he believes that everyone has this desire to pursue Republican forms of government to strengthen the system, the American system and the American government, not strengthen the government as in make it bigger, if you understand what I'm saying, but strengthen our our liberty and strengthen the system in general. He believes that everyone, everyone wants that. And where they disagree is how they are going to do that. Where we disagree now in American politics is whether or not that system should be in place at all that's the difference here between the time he lived and the time we live in now it is sad and it is discouraging but the same solution is the same solution that it was before and it is going back to these principles later on he still he, he says still one thing more fellow citizens a wise and frugal government which shall restrain men from injuring one another shall leave them otherwise free to regulate their own pursuits of industry and improvement that's not the end of the segment uh, the sentence i'm going to stop right there to say Again, that's the purpose of government is to simply restrain men from injuring one another, to to simply restrain men from violating violating the rights of others or taking one's life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That's the that's the very basic fundamental duty of government to protect the innocent by punishing those guilty of doing that. And that's that's the purpose of government. And like he says, to leave everything else free keep the government out of every other portion of people's lives so that they can live free in regards to industry. And he says, and shall not take from the mouth of labor, the bread it has earned. That was also something Ronald Reagan talked about a government, not being our master and riding on our backs and stifling opportunity and productivity. So again, themed after this again, and shall not take from the mouth of labor, the bread it has earned. This is the sum of good government. And this is necessary to close the circle of our felicities he then gives a 12 point list of what the duties of his administration is going to be i'm not really going to lay that out because we do not have time but just to give you a few the first one is to uh, give out equal and exact justice to all men whatever state of their persuasion religious or political beliefs to pursue peace when, whenever possible, to uphold commerce and honest friendship with all nations who uh, you know, uphold the same standards, just to go through some of them, um, formulating and uh, holding on to and establishing the principles of our republics, the economy and the public expense labor is to be lightly burdened, to keep off or burdened, I guess I should say, to uh, keep government off the back of the American people. I like this one, the diffusion, the spreading of information and arraignment of all abuses at the bar of the public reason. The idea of letting information and the freedom of information and and free speech and whatnot. Uh, He talks about that actually right after freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of person under the protection of the habeas corpus and trial by juries impartially selected. And he says these principles form the bright constellation which has gone before us and guided our steps through an age of revolution and reformation. They should be the creed of our political faith, the text of civic instruction, the touchstone by which to try the services of those we trust. And should we wander from them in moments of error or of alarm, let us hasten to retrace our steps and regain the road, which alone leads to peace, liberty, and safety. I repair then, fellow citizens, to the post you have assigned me. Again, he's saying you have assigned me this post. It's not me just trying to grasp for power or me trying to attain that highest position, but it's something that the American people has assigned to me. And he says this sincerely. I-, I hate the whole fake attitude. And Kamala Harris is a big one of this. The American people have called me to this and I'm doing what is my duty. It's all fake. You can tell from the way she acts. You can tell from the history of her political career of manipulating people and events to further her own political agenda, her own political career. That is also a very common theme among our elected officials, And yet here he is talking about repairing back, coming back to the duty that the American people have given him. And then he later he says, I shall often go wrong uh, through defect of judgment and that uh, he, does, he never will do so intentionally. He will never do so intentionally and that uh, the American people support against those errors of others who may condemn what they would not if seen in, in all of its parts. Basically, like I said, to forgive him when he makes those mistakes, but to know that they're not intentional. They're not to harm our country or to further his own career, but just simply honest, unintentional mistakes. In the last sentence, he he talks about relying on the infinite power, which rules the destinies of the universe and leads our councils to what is best and gives them a favorable issue for our peace and our prosperity very fundamental in fact that is taken directly from the theme of daniel you know the kingdom of the the most high ruleth in the kingdom of, of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will the idea that that god is above all, all of our all of mankind our governments and whatnot and so he's appealing to that infinite power which rules the destinies of the universe like he says again a very beautiful speech very applicable to what we see today it, it is unfortunate to see the stark contrast between men like that and men and women in politics that we see today. We, there's a very strong dearth of that. And I think, honestly, too, it is because of a strong dearth uh, of political discussion or of, uh, unfortunately, the families that we're raising. And not when I say that we're raising, I don't mean listeners here. I do believe that the listeners here are seeking to raise families like that in these principles of, of self-government and doing what's right and, and sharing those principles with others. Of course, I do believe that. But I'm just talking about as a whole, our nation as a whole. Are, are those the families that, that, are, that are being raised in our nation? If those are the families that you want to raise and you want to continue to share raising, I would ask you to continue to share these episodes. Also, too, I want to ask you very briefly, what type of content do you want to see moving forward? I think this is a great pace that we're in, the idea of spending time in the current events the day-to-day news, talking about the headlines, and then going into those end-of-show segments, those deeper discussions. But I want to also bring you a little bit newer content. I don't know if that means actually like going out into the streets or to universities and having like change my mind discussions, current event discussions, or just random education of individuals on history, philosophy, morality, discussions that we have here on the show. What are you thinking? Let me know. Always open to those suggestions. I want to keep continuing to grow the show. And thank you so much for helping us grow the show. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Josiah Evertson, and this is The Glorious Rescue. Really quickly, I don't know if you can hear right now, but there's an airplane going overhead. I don't know if you can't hear it or not, but there was probably like 50 of those airplanes going overhead as I was trying to record this specific episode and I had to keep restarting. So if you want to help us out, help me out for the sacrifice I had to make bringing you this episode, please continue to share this. If you could right now, as you're listening on this YouTube video, hit that like button, drop me a comment of the type of content you want to see and continue to share these episodes. Thank you very much.